You're listening to the Friends Talking Nerdy Podcast Network. Friends Talking Nerdy! If your friends are nerdy This is the podcast making, public transit taking, kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing, son of a gun, Tim the Nerd, welcoming you to another episode of Friends Talking Nerdy. Thank you for starting your week off with us. Sitting next to me, we have the beautiful, the vivacious, the effervescent, the lovely, the greatest legal mind in the Pacific Northwest, Professor Aubrey. How you doing? Hey, I'm great, Tim the Nerd. I'm just really great. Having a having a great day. Um, it's really hot here in Portland. Oh, yeah, that's why we will uh, put the disclaimer up. If you hear a low whirring in the background, that is our air conditioner. We do value our comfort here because it's one of the few times in Portland that it's going to reach triple digits. Yeah, it's supposed to be 104 degrees tomorrow. Yeah, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things, isn't that bad compared to other places in the country. But when you have a group of people that live here that are basically used to, like, I think I told you, like, you know, my reaction watching the weather report the first day I was in Portland, Oregon. Uh, that was, you know, they came on. We're gonna have a very, very hot winter, hot summery weather streak going on. It's gonna be high in the nineties, <laughs> and it's just like, oh, poor babies. Because what's the weather like in Sacramento? Uh, hundreds. It's routinely three digits. Um, you know, one hundred and twenty was rare, but it did happen. One hundred and twenty. Yeah. How do you survive that? You stay inside with air conditioning. <laughs> I guess. I mean, it. it it was a dry heat, so uh, tolerable, but, um, you know, just stepping outside, you definitely, definitely feel it, and you're instantly sweating from every pore in your body. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of every pore in your body. Hey, every pore in your body, that's right. Well, the big news for me this week was that I, well, I got a new bicycle, a new old bicycle. Hooray! And with that bicycle, I put my naked ass on it and rode in the world naked bike ride. Yeah. Yes, last night. It, yeah, that is a Portland event. Yes, it is. Do you want to tell folks a little bit about it? Well, it started in Portland. It's now worldwide. Hmm. And it was a sort of like critical mass kind of ride in that it was promoting bicycle riding and, and safety. Sort of bicycles versus cars. And the nakedness was to symbolize the vulnerability of bike riders that they, compared to cars, are going to get their asses kicked. Yeah. And so it's a sort of take-over-the-streets ride where everybody's naked. It's that kind of Merry Pranksters kind of thing in Portland that I love. It's like, it's about a serious thing. It's about people getting killed on bicycles by cars. But it's so joyous and ridiculous and funny and... We're going to respond to this by getting naked. Yay! <laughs> That's how we solve everything in Portland. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, um, 
So yeah, it goes from a different park every year, and this year they did a cool thing where um, people left from every corner of the park, and so there were four big bike rides that gradually all merged together. Mm. We also did this really cool thing at the Zombie Mall, the Lloyd Center here in Portland, where we went up the parking garage and around in a circle and back down the parking garage, so there were people going up while there were people going down, like it was wild. Okay. I mean, it, it, since there's really nothing going on at Lloyd Center anymore, I mean, I'm surprised they didn't let you all, like, ride through the mall. That would have been... Me cool. too. That would have been also fun. But, yeah. like, there were no cops around ever. Yeah, they're too busy having their heads up their own asses here. I mean, it is unfortunate when you have Portland police, like, openly coming, you know, responding to calls um, that, that they get in this town and then telling, you know, citizens, well, there's nothing we can do. They, they cut our budget, even though they didn't really cut their budget. No officers were fired. No officers were demoted or lost salary or anything like that. It's just, you know, like other cities uh, in America, Portland decided to take a little bit of uh, the police budget and put it towards something else. But of course, that's going to hamper everything. So fuck the police. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Portland Portland cops have been on strike now for a couple of years. They don't call it that. They simply don't do anything useful for the population. Which is unfortunate because it's their way of controlling the narrative. Because if they don't actively stop crimes like they're supposed to, um, then people, then, you know, the rich, entitled white people in this town will end up voting, you know, for something down the line that will support them and their own financial interest. You know, I mean, this town talks a big game about serving the progressive ideal, but at the end of the day, they're going to protect themselves. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they also put a lot of pressure on law enforcement and on local government in general. Um, whether you're talking about the people who own businesses here, like Nike and Columbia Sportswear, mm-hmm. or um, you know, just people who have social influence in some way, really have their way with politics in Portland, just like they do everywhere else yeah they're kind of like the seats of those rent-a-bikes that uh nike provides uh, the city of portland the orange ones they're kind of like the seats after people rent those bikes for naked bike ride <laughs> yeah there were several people on those bikes at the naked bike ride i thought that was quite bold I don't like it, it. Like, hey, if it's your own personal bike, you want to ride naked on it. That that's your own personal bike. You can do what you want. But renting a essentially a, uh, an item that is going to be used by the general public and putting your naked ass on it, like like if if you did that and and but at the end of the day you had like some like wet like baby wipes or disinfectant cleaner in your bag and you wipe the seat down good for you no harm no foul i'll look the other way but you know plenty of people just sat their naked asses on there on that bike drove it and then parked it back in the spot and let some unsuspecting person that's just trying to get from point a to point b have have their pants or whatever mingle with someone's naked ass (laughs) i love that you're so worried about that you know you're you're particularly queasy when it comes to any kind of bathroom business 
I, call me crazy, but you know, like I, I just yeah, we're talking someone's naked ass. I mean, and I'm not yeah. I mean, most people wipe properly. I get that. It's not going to be like brown streak on the seat or anything like that, but it's still a naked ass. You know, and it's a bike that you don't own. Why do you think it's okay to put your naked ass on something that you don't own? Yeah, that's the weird part. I mean, I get you. I believe that it is weird that people were riding naked on those orange bikes. Yeah. But more because of why are you putting your naked ass on something that's had who knows what on it? Exactly. I mean, you know... Yeah, we, we have a lot of interesting people in this town, folks. <laughs> yep. Yep. But anyway, while you were doing that, I was hiccuping for one. <laughs> um, I have a full belly thanks to the professor's wonderful Tennessee chili. Tennessee chili. What do you think of it, you know, compared to Texas chili, for example? Um, I like chili with beans, so, yeah. uh, you know, definitely, um, you know... I mean, that's what I grew up with when my mother made chili. It was always kidney beans or, you know, th- throwing that stuff on the inside. So I'm not one of those strict Texas people that, you know, that's not chili. <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, the, chili is also like one of those foods like pizza that can't really get too long. Right. That's why chili cook-offs are so good. Yeah. I mean, it's like you can try different things. You can try wacky wacky ingredients to put on the inside, but if you know what you're doing, those ingredients can definitely enhance it. You know, like the people that will um, mix sweet and sour type stuff together. Mm-hmm. You know, like extreme, like habanero, um, you know, peppers, but they also put a little bit of honey in it or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of interesting things you can do. There's white chili, there's green chili, plus your traditional red chili. Yep. So you could do, like, a white, green, and red, like, Italian flag. And think of your your poor bathroom after all. (laughs) (laughs) You know. Anyway. It was really good chili, and if you uh, all anybody in the audience ever gets a chance to uh, taste uh, the professor's wonderful chili, you will love the results. Thank you. Yes, um, but you know my week mostly has been taken up by kitty affairs. Mm. Um, Mimsy is, uh, you know, I think she's finally viewing me as one of her humans now. And, oh, good. You know, and I, I definitely love that because, you know, she she's different than Annie. Annie's just like the, yay! <laughs> you know, super, I'm super happy. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to chew on this plastic. <laughs> um, whereas Mimsy is a little more reserved, a little mm-hmm. more calm. But, mm-hmm. you know, once mm-hmm. she opens up to you, like, it's, it's like, she, she won't stop <laughs> she will just always want the attention and, and she's great with eye contact too like I've spent the weekend playing videos for her she loves watching uh, YouTube videos uh, like if you have a cat um, just on YouTube search videos for cats and there's going to be a plethora of uh, selections that you can choose um, whether it be videos in nature of actual birds flying around or something like that or like um, fake mice that will run across the screen um, and Mimsy loves uh, inter interacting with those. Uh, there have been a couple of times where I've played it on the TV, but I probably shouldn't with how excited right. she gets. Yeah. Um, but she also likes TikTok videos. Really? Yeah, um, TikTok videos of cats especially. Oh. There are plenty of um, uh, cat ones on there. Like there was uh, <laughs> a funny one of this. Uh, it was 
two cats, a mama cat, a baby cat, and a dog. And the dog was, like, the baby cat, like, took a swipe at the dog, like, like that. And the dog was like, what, what? And then the mother was just looking at him with the way cats do, like, yeah, what are you going to do? What are you going to do, pal? You're going to touch my kid? <laughs> like and the dog just, mm. <laughs> Yeah, I found that dogs are really scared of cats, generally speaking, because cats do not care, and they will walk up to you and smack your nose. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are some great uh, videos on, on TikTok of cats. Like, there was a tiger that came up that was in a cage, but it came up next to a, uh, a cat that was sitting outside of the cage, and somebody did a voiceover, like, you know, like, oh, I am a superior a jungle cat and you are the, this and the, the house cat was just like smacked on the nose and uh, th- there was one where a cat smacked a seal on the nose and then the seal just rolled into the water <laughs> <laughs> yeah they'll smack anybody in the face yeah but uh, Mimsy had a big adventure uh, this weekend and, and I know you've witnessed it before too so it's not the first time she's had this adventure but I want to rid her of this urge to have this adventure because uh, we have a deck here um, and you know especially during the summer if it's not too hot you know if we have one of the windows open and the deck door open it creates a nice breeze Yeah. and the cats love uh, you know because there's a screen door there the cats love just hanging out by the door and there'll be times I'll put some nuts out for the crows to come and that and Mimsy absolutely loves that but apparently she's taken it upon herself to try and hop on top of the door yeah yeah and you said she successfully did it once yes she did and I was just working away so what do kitties do with me <clears throat> is that they get real excited when I get up in the morning and you know we play around and such and then I sit down and start working mm-hmm. they try to bother me a few times and I redirect them and then they leave me alone for the rest of the day so I typically am not paying that much attention to them while I'm working. But just all of a sudden, I heard this meow from the top of the room. And I turned around, and Mimsy was right on top of the deck door. <laughs> she had jumped up off of my office chair and gotten up there. Yeah, And that, then she couldn't figure out how to get down. Yeah, that, and that's kind of what happened this time. She tried to jump up there, but didn't quite make it. And, you know, just clattered, you know, down to the ground. And then, you know, did a Scooby-Doo run out. But I ended up catching her and then picking her up like, The fuck? The fuck you doing? <laughs> and, and, and just the look on her face. I mean, if she could talk, it would just be like, but I wanted to get up top. Mm-hmm. What's your problem? <laughs> yeah, so... I'm I'm glad they're in my life. Let's put it that way, you know. And be and one, I like the fact that I do have two cats because they can like imagine how much Annie would be a nuisance if it was just her. Oh my god! Because she wouldn't have the other cat to be able to get all of her pent up energy out with. Right, and having it be her mother, which her mother then has this sort of motherly control of her, right? Like yep. she will she will put her in her place. Yeah, um, she has stopped Annie from uh, nursing on her. That has not happened in a while. Like, I remember, like, one time I saw Annie going for a nipple, and um, Mimsy, like, didn't, like, react violently, but it was just like, no. And she just got up and walked away. (laughs) I mean, she did kind of make a noise, like, right? Like, like, my nipples are tender. You're not touching them anymore. (laughs) Because, yeah, like, if you get a kid breastfeeding with teeth, ow. Right? Yeah. 
And I can just imagine Annie with her overly rambunctious self. I love that boobie. <laughs> <laughs> but the overall, it's it's. it's I'm loving the journey I'm taking with them. It's a very, very start of the long, long journey that is us being in each other's lives. But, you know, Mimsy is a good cat, and Annie is a good cat. Um, they both, yeah, they were both right for me. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I think so, for sure. Yep. Well, another thing I tried to do this weekend, but more and more it's looking like... Um, not going to be able to do it as much as I thought I would, you know, and it's a topic that we've kind of talked about on the show since pretty much the very beginning, because when the show first dropped, um, Netflix was the king of the streaming world. They were the only uh, people in the streaming world apart from Hulu, but Hulu wasn't quite, you know, up to, you know, Netflix's level as of yet. You know, you got Hulu if you wanted to watch, you know, current seasons of stuff, you know, but, um, with Disney Plus dropping, with you know Peacock becoming a thing, with uh, you know CBS All Access becoming Paramount Plus, um, we've had plenty of these companies uh, put their flag out and try and uh, get a piece of the streaming market. But more and more, what they're finding is that Netflix is kind of a shell game going on. <laughs> you know, this idea that there can be one company that can have all of your entertainment needs just stored there waiting for you for one low price is a myth. People need to be paid for this stuff. And, you know, what we're looking at right now is Disney Plus, for example, uh, for the second time in less than a year, has raised their prices. Uh, last year, it was six ninety nine for the basic plan, and then you go up from there. Then they had brought the price up to ten ninety nine. Now it's thirteen ninety nine. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hulu, um, Disney owns Hulu as well. They jacked the price up to Hulu um, for their basic plan, seventeen ninety nine a month. Right. And um, you know that you can bundle them together for like twenty five bucks a month. Which, you know, at that point, why am I? It, it is exactly like cable used to be, and you know, in a lot of ways, I think this, uh, you know, five years from now. Streaming is still going to be a thing. It is. It is something that you know people have determined that you know they like that luxury of being able to watch you know stuff at their leisure whenever they want to, and not just you know what's on type of deal. You know, having for real, yeah, having that power to be able to decide what you watch is a good thing. But you know, just the streaming model is not going to be sustainable, and there will be casualties, and will be a number of casualties. Um, you know, now having said that, like I said, I don't think streaming is going to go away, but I think, you know, we're going to see more and more companies relying upon, you know, uh, the fast streaming service, uh, free ad supported television like Pluto TV, Tubi, uh, stuff like that. That'll be the primary money driver because guess what? Commercials make the money, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And for as much as commercials suck, You know, call me crazy, but, you know, I don't have the type of disposable income to pay for all the streaming services I want. And if that means I got to put up with a couple of commercials, as long as they're not, they're appropriately placed, you know, like, like if you're watching an old TV show on Pluto, as long as that commercial break comes where the commercial break originally was, I'm happy. I can be satisfied with that, but um, just streaming is getting to be rather 
expensive and it's getting to the point to where i mean like you know hbo max for uh, for instance which became max uh is bleeding um subscribers because again you know you jack up your prices and then you start removing tons of content uh just so you can save money for your own bottom line you know you're kind of making it to where people are telling themselves why should i continue to give my money why and and the the big other big problem here too is that you know if you do have a, a show that you watch that um is being made by a streaming company there's a good chance that there might not be a physical copy of that out mm -hmm. there you know because another thing to keep in mind is if you buy a digital movie you're not buying the movie you're buying a license to watch it for as long as the company that made that movie allows you to have that license it is different than buying a dvd or a blu-ray yeah for sure yeah and you know if anything this shows the importance of having physical media because these entertainment companies would absolutely love it if you know they could put um you know the toothpaste back in the in the tube uh you know because the, you know they fought tooth and nail when vcrs came about because they thought you know oh no having a, people having vcrs is gonna cut into them going to the movies turned out not to be the case it made people want to go more you know but you know, uh, what What do you think? What are your thoughts on streaming services? Well, you know, I liked them. So I've been a subscriber to Netflix since way before it was streaming, since it was CDs that you got in the mail. And that was like the greatest invention ever, right? You didn't have to go to the movie store. It came in the mail to you. You could send them back, get new ones. You had a whole queue. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was brilliant. Um, then, you know, when they went to streaming, I just kept paying for it. And was able to watch all kinds of things on it. I loved it. As more things entered the market for streaming services, though, the prices increased. It was like demand and supply did not work in this case. It was there were more people subscribing and prices were going up and up and up. They're going up, and the companies are also getting um, ruthless when it comes to um, their customers. You know, like the big, like Disney Plus is going to start doing what Netflix is doing with the password sharing. Mm. They're going to, excuse me, they will essentially mock. Excuse me again. Uh, wonderful chili, by the way. You're going to monitor who's watching and... Yeah, because, you know, they can... They can they know who is watching what based on, like, uh, like your, the, um, like certain information that, that your computer has to send out when you're uh, online. Um, you know, we'll reach them so they will know that, you know, this is the primary device that watches it. And also, too, like, if you're giving your password to somebody across the country as well, it, it'll be easier for them to say hey this person's billing is in portland oregon but you know someone in duluth minnesota is watching their account what's going on here mm -hmm. you know when you know it could just be that that person who owns that account just happens, happens to, to be, be in visiting. duluth yeah but um when you start treating your customers like criminals and start going after like um like there has to be an adjustment here about what streaming can offer. And I think this whole idea of a streaming service essentially replacing a broadcast network, it's not sustainable. It's not going to happen. You know, um, again, I don't I think... I do enjoy watching the live TV mm -hmm. that we get on Roku, on the Roku channel. I do watch that quite a bit. So I, I like that option to watch the local channels. Yeah, and, and honestly, it's going to take 
I mean, once the your local channel, because the uh, the technology is already there, like on Peacock and uh, Paramount Plus, you have access to your local NBC and CBS station. So they have the ability to send your local feed through one of these apps. They're just not doing it yet. And, right. You know, um, I, it, th- basically, we're at a point where we have to find out what. Um, what streaming means to people if that makes sense because you know yeah the days of paying for three or four services are like are over most people cannot really afford that right you know and yet people still want to be entertained yet we have more and more like your big box places um, no longer selling you know physical movies in their stores anymore Um, you know you can still buy stuff online of course but um, you know like Marvel some of their uh, Marvel shows, for instance, are not available on physical copies, mm-hmm. which kind of sucks, <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, Paramount does have a bit of the right idea because Paramount owns Pluto TV, and what they've been doing the past few years is that, like for Star Trek, for instance, if a new season of one of their new Star Trek shows is coming out, they will play the previous season on Pluto TV for free um, with commercials um, so people can get a taste test and think, hey, I like this. Maybe I will pay for you know Paramount Plus for a month or two to be able to watch the new season, which that's great. I mean, that's how you do it. But, um, I, you know, I think, too, that, you know, more and more of these streamers will just not have as much because it costs money to store this stuff on hard drives that you and servers that you have to keep uh, in tip top shape because you have people all over the world trying to access it you know like mm-hmm. Disney is losing over 400 million dollars on um, or on the the Disney plus uh, excursion so it's 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 unfortunate because streaming like I said, I don't think it's going away. I just don't know exactly what the future is going to hold for it. And, you know, what this tells me, too, like I said, is is the importance of physical media, you know. Um, also, I think some of these uh, price increases uh, happening as frequently as they are will definitely cause people to not think twice about pirating. Oh, yeah. I think so. You know, anytime things become too expensive we figure out ways to make them cheap yeah yeah and i I, you know i I think we all just have to be to have to accept the fact that you know we can't get away from commercials right (laughs) you know uh, you know sadly commercials are going to be there now i would love i if, if a streaming service has to have the commercials front load them have them all at the start to where you have to watch three or four commercials and then you can watch your item watch your show that would be great i mean you could just look at youtube and know that like people can deal with commercials Uh we can like we can it's just a matter of making sure they're done in appropriate spots you know like if it's a tv show you're watching make sure those commercials are placed at where the original commercial break was supposed to be and if it's a movie do it when the scene is changing and not in the middle of dialogue, which happens on occasion on uh, some of uh, the the free streaming apps. But yeah. um, but beggars can't be choosers. Free is better than you know almost you know twenty bucks a month if you wanted to pay for just two services, if not more. If not more, yeah. Depending so, on the two services. 
Exactly. Exactly. So at the end of the day, this is something that I'm sure we'll talk about again because, you know, cost um, for streaming services affect us all. And, uh, you know, it is, entertainment is vital um, in, in people's everyday lives. It is extremely vital. So having a form of entertainment, no matter how rich or poor you are, is a way for you to be able to, it's, it, it's just, it's the equivalent of allowing your brain to go into a hot tub, really. Yeah. Just the whole idea of, you know, hey, I'm going to put on some pro wrestling and lose myself for a couple of hours. Great. Yeah, absolutely. Like, people, you know, we need entertainment. You think back to caveman days, like, people watch the fire. People can watch anything and be entertained. But we need that, you know, it's a very human thing to want to gather around and what you know have a experience together yeah you know it's just if you do it make sure the actors and you know everybody behind the scenes are being paid you know right I mean, especially but, now yeah i mean you know we've talked about that in the past with uh, the actors and the writer strike in hollywood but you know just some of uh, the things that the studios want want to be able to get away with yeah. wow I mean, and, and, you know, watching actors, uh, you know, big name actors, you know, show some of their residual checks from some of their big properties that you would think they would still be making a halfway decent amount of money from. And like John Cusack for saying anything, um, getting uh, like, I don't even know why they printed it, but they printed a zero dollar check. What the fuck? Yeah. And um, it, it is what it is. And, you know, right now. We're just in a big transitional period. We, we really are. I mean, the next five to ten years will look so much different than what it is today. It's going to utilize a lot of the same tools that we are seeing. But, you know, I think more than anything, too, we're, I think we may see studios not be as likely to um, not greenlight everything. Because, mm-hmm. like, one negative, especially of Netflix, you know, Netflix would, you know, green... And South Park made fun of it, or was it Family Guy made fun of it? One of them made fun of it um, about... Yeah, with the Coon episode on South Park. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, how Netflix was giving money to anybody that really showed up at the door. Like, you know a producer that made a movie for Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Which is not to say he made a bad film, but you get my point. Just anybody was able to get that made, and I think... Um, the days of that happening are gone, mm. which is sad because the big sadness there is that a lot of these things that were getting noticed were things that in you know previous generations were not going to necessarily be told, and a lot of times we're talking about minority LGBTQ stories, stuff like that. Because we had the option of streaming, um, you know, some of those st- people were given a chance. You know, to tell those stories, and some people were able to make good, and you know, make, tell a great story that that spoke to people. But you know, I, I, I see them being the first victims of you know the streaming wars kind of correcting themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the coming days. Exactly, and that reminds me of what our main topic is today. Thanks to you, you're the one who suggested it. We're going to be talking about our favorite blockbuster films. Summer blockbusters in particular. Yes, summer blockbusters. I've actually been able to go to the movies a couple of times this summer and have seen a couple of the blockbusters. I saw Oppenheimer, 
and the Barbie movie, and I would say the Barbie movie is like the summer movie this year, and um, it's a phenomenon, right? Everybody's going around in pink outfits and seeing the film multiple times, and it's very popular with teenage girls, which is great because it's, it's like Black Panther for white bitches, as somebody on TikTok said. <laughs> I mean. It kind of is like it's very political and you know very female empowerment focused. Mm-hmm. I, and yeah, I mean I haven't seen that movie yet. I I actually do want to see it because you know we both saw uh, Greta Gerwig's last film in theaters, Little Women, mm-hmm. and um, you know she's behind Lady Bird as well. Um, you know the types of films that Greta Gerwig did before Barbie, just like. Once she got Barbie, it's just like, what is she going to do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because she's not the one that you hire just to, you know, tell her what to do. Right. You know, and the fact that she is now the first woman to direct a billion-dollar film like this, um, kudos to her. And Margot Robbie as well, just, you know, I think she had a hand in, you know, choosing Greta Gerwig uh, to be the director. Oh, really? Yeah, so uh, I think she was a producer on the film as well. But um, if there's anybody that understands the what pop culture, what, you know, pop art can do in order to be made bigger, in order to bring pop art into the high art realm, mm-hmm. I think it is Margot Robbie and, of course, Greta Gerwig. And the results speak for themselves. So. Absolutely. Um, it's a great movie. Yes, but did you know the monkeys are inadvertently responsible for blockbusters? How is that? Well, the monkeys were created by um, um, a guy named Bob Rafelson and I think Burt Schneider. And those guys ended up um, producing a little film you may have heard of called Easy Rider. Oh, and Bob Rafelson directed a film you may have heard of called Five Easy Pieces. Oh, no, I have not heard of that. With Jack Nicholson. But um, that was the start of the new Hollywood movement. And mm. that was when studios were getting away from the old, um, you know, the, the contract days to um, giving people chances to let their art shine. And that's when, you know, people like Francis Ford Coppola uh, first started getting uh, noticed. Uh, that's where this little guy named Steven Spielberg, who was making films, uh, TV films, um, for uh, Universal, um, he like did an episode of. Um, there was a show that Rod Serling did that was not The Twilight Zone, um, but was similar uh, in vain. I forgot the name of it, but Spielberg directed uh, an episode of that, and Joan Crawford um, was the star of that episode, and she actually helped put a good word in for him. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, that, you know, speaking of somebody else too, George Lucas. You know, so what we wanted to do is talk about our favorite blockbuster movies from a certain period of time you know um, generally most folks will say that Jaws um, is the first blockbuster as we know it and that came in 1975 so what the professor and I did is we went uh, looked through the years 1975 to 1980 and found our five favorite summer blockbusters now now, what I did as well, I mean, there have been a number of movies that were released during that era that we may not talk about. Um, doesn't mean we don't like them, of course. It's just, you know, like if there is a movie that we talk about many, many, many times on the show, I tried to choose something just a little different so we would have something different to talk about. 
Sure. You know, so you're not going to hear Star Wars from me, long story short. <laughs> me neither. So, did you want to start with your first choice? Sure. Um, I started with the classic Jaws, because I do remember seeing that when I was a kid and being terrified. And mm-hmm. I remember it being like a huge deal. It was definitely out in summertime. And, um, you know, my folks loved it. And um, I might have seen it a couple of times. And it's always terrified me. I've never been able to watch it. And I just get terribly scared. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, Spielberg is a master at getting a reaction to other people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and uh, he's one of the few directors that has dipped his to- toes in many different types of genres. And, you know, horror being one of them. And, you know, Jaws is... It is amazing how many scares he was able to get uh, out of Jaws with as bumpy a road of filming as that movie was because the you know the shark itself was they did have essentially an animatronic shark that they were going to use but it kept on breaking down yeah. you know but you know Spielberg being a student of film that he was understood you know he can go the Hitchcock route and the less you see of it the more the audience will create in their head the dangers you know like like right. at the beginning of the film with the woman getting attacked by the shark you didn't see the shark you just saw her moving around you know but you could just imagine what was going underneath going out underneath the water yeah yeah it was scary and John Williams music indeed yeah I, I think he may have because uh, like John Williams did the music for Lost in Space in the 60s mm-hmm. um, when he was Johnny Williams. Um, but uh, the the theme to Jaws, the, um, he may have cribbed that from an episode of Star Trek called The Doomsday Machine. Really? Yeah, it's a similar type of, and, you know, it, I'm, it's a similar type of uh, sound as a type of deal. Um, it's the Enterprise is being chased by this gigantic machine uh, that can destroy planets and it's up to the Enterprise to try and stop this Um, and just I'm surprised they haven't revisited that in the movies because I think um, that would have that could make one hell of a movie if you kind of expanded it into the two hour realm but I think he cribbed the music from that really? yeah I doubt he would admit that well, he's a. Magi- I'm not saying he stole it. You know, a, a, a true musician is going to be influenced by what they hear. And yeah, I don't think it was you know copying it note for note and stealing. I'm not saying that. It's just I think, I think he definitely heard it, and you could tell he was influenced. You know, because at the time too, I mean, we're talking. You know, he was contemporaries with the people that were making the music for Star Trek. Right. So. Interesting. Yep. What's your first film there, Tim? All right, this is one I have spoken about before. Um, you know, I made a big lecture about picking stuff that I haven't, and then the first thing I pick is one that I've picked before. Um, but you can't go wrong with a, with a James Bond movie. Mm. When you think of summer blockbusters, you think of spectacle, and, you know, what better spectacle than having James Bond skiing off of a cliff, kicking off his skis while he's plummeting down the cliff, and then ripping off his ripping off his parachute and the parachute opens up and it's the Union Jack you know I mean that just Roger Moore had a way of 
understanding the silliness of Bond, but still playing it as this is the coolest thing you'll ever do. (laughs) Yeah, it was very sophisticated, Roger Moore. Yeah, um, but this movie is the first one that uh, Albert Broccoli, um, who used to produce the movies with Harry Saltzman, did on his own. Mm. Uh, Harry Saltzman was bad with money, and so had to sell his stakes in the Bond franchise. Um, But this is the... movie that uh, gave us one of the best Bond songs uh, Nobody Does It Better from Carly Simon mm-hmm. um, just overall from first frame to last uh, like this is Roger Moore's best outing as Bond and you know if you have a top five list of best Bond movies ever Spy Who Loved Me is going to be in it not necessarily number one but in the top five nice yeah I, you know I agree I and I don't like the Roger Moore movies as much as I like the Sean Connery Bond movies. Um, but you're right, that opening scene is pretty catchy. Indeed. Indeed. What is your next choice? My next choice is King Kong. Mm. So, this was a huge summer blockbuster. I remember going to see it when it came out and just loving it so much. Like, it, it was somewhat. There was something very exciting about, you know, this woman being offered up to this giant um, gorilla. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's Jessica Lange. Her first movie. Her first movie, and she did a great job, I think, of, like, begging begging the King Kong to let her go. Mm -hmm. And um, just being clearly an inspiration to King Kong. And... You know, it, I thought as a kid, I loved it. I thought it was great, and I've seen it since, like as an as a grown person, mm-hmm. and I still like it. That's good. I know Charles Grodin was in the movie. I think he was um, stamped into the ground by King Kong, <laughs> like because I seem to remember like him doing like this at one point. You know, <laughs> acting scared, like ah, and then you see a big foot like slam down, <laughs> and then you see like his in- like it's like a cartoon, um, like that, but. That movie did not do well at the box office. And really? It almost tanked Jessica Lange's career, which would have been a shame because, you know, like we, we talked about it just a couple episodes of the past, Sweet Dreams. You know, she, oh, yeah. You know, she wouldn't have necessarily have had that if it failed any worse than it did. Um, but it was also produced by Dino De Laurentiis. Who is that? Noted film direct, uh, film producer, um, Kind of like an Italian Roger Corman, you know. He Italian Roger Corman. I mean, Roger Corman did a lot of like he did the original um, Little Shop of Horrors, Uh, those type of uh, like low budget, cheap horror, you know, genre films. Oh, gotcha. Type of deal, Um, but uh, you know, funny enough. Uh, his niece ended up getting a cooking show on the Food Network. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, th- I think they do make fun of her on the South Park Cream Trish episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they like to make fun of people on South Park. So Indeed. what's your next choice? My next choice, every time I see the opening of this movie, tears will start flowing like crazy. But these are good tears, good happy tears. And, you know, it it's a movie that opens up in a swamp. Oh. The Muppet movie. The Muppet movie, of course. I, what I've loved 
What I love about Jim Henson is that while the movies and the TV shows that he made were geared towards kids, he always threw curveballs. Oh, yeah. You know, like, um, I mean, we talked about in, in a previous episode with Menomino. You mm-hmm. know, that song came from a 60s softcore porn movie, <laughs> you know? But he was able to turn it, and now people only associate it with the Muppets, really. Yeah. Um, and, and like, the Muppet movie, I think, one hell of a story. Um, great music throughout. A lot of the songs, you know, like, The Rainbow Connection um, was written by Paul Williams. Um, you know, I, I, the, there's a movie that I think is on your list that Paul Williams was actually one of the stars in. Really? Yeah, and I'll tell you when we get there. Okay. Um, but just from first to last, I mean, it's. I, I had to rewatch this again in 2011 when the Jason Segel version of the um, Muppet movie came out um, because that was, in a lot of ways, kind of like a sequel, um, directly and indirectly uh, to this uh, particular film here, and just. Jansen was a genius like you know there's some stuff that he's done that you know in like the 80s for instance like Labyrinth or whatever that I love Labyrinth didn't work for me but it's Hanson The Dark Crystal didn't work for me oh but, I love that one but but still Hanson was a genius and you know I still remember um, it, it, one of the best moments of 2000 was being at the Gerald R. Ford Museum um, they had an exhibit. Uh, it was a traveling exhibit, so it wasn't permanent, um, but it was part of a traveling exhibit from the Smithsonian talking about the millennium. Mm. And one of the exhibits that they had, Bird and Ernie. Aww. And it was so cool. I, like, I, I wish I that was around now when I had a cell phone that I would have been taking a whole bunch of pictures. Um, but, you know, Hanson was a genius. Yes. And, and the music in this movie is some of the best music you'll hear yep. in a movie. So, yep. what's your next choice? My next choice is... Dun, 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 Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Never watched it. Here's another that I remember going to see when I was a kid in the summertime, and I think I saw it at a drive-in movie, um, which is kind of creepy because you could look up in the sky and, you know, think about UFOs and stuff. Mm-hmm. The best experience I had watching this movie was actually at um, what's called Devil's Tower or Bear Lodge. According to Native Americans, it's called Bear Lodge, not Devil's Tower. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was the place where the UFO landed and where they had the whole setup for the UFO. Yep. Um, I watched it from the campground right next to Bear Lodge. And so it was like you could watch it and see the see the mountain and then look and there was the mountain and I mean, it was just like the coolest thing ever. Um, I thought it was really well acted by the guy who was in it. Yeah, he was good. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus, yes. I think he was really great in it. Yeah, I mean, even the movies that he's done for pure cash, he's still good in. Like, I remember he was in uh, the remake of uh, the Poseidon Adventure, Poseidon in the early 2000s, and a reporter asked him, you know, why did you do this money? Why did you do this movie? I needed the money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And now we have more and more actors willing to say that, especially later in their lives, where they're just like, yeah, I'm just making money. Yeah, I mean, 
it, it is a tightrope. I mean, because entertainment is still a business. You know, it, it is when they're doing a job. You know, it, it is a factory town. You know, it's just the product that they're making in their factories are movies and TV shows. You know, it's just because it is an artistic endeavor as well. You know, I, I can see where people still will get upset because someone's just taking money for the sake of it. You know, like, um, you know, Bruce Willis in his later years, um, the, you know, taking on a bunch of roles that people were like, why? Now, granted, we found out why, and I, you know, I, the, any sort of critique I had about Bruce Willis is out the window, knowing that he did that to make sure his family had money for when he really couldn't work anymore. Uh, you know, th- that's cool. But, you know, artistic integrity, <laughs> you know, it, it, it can be, it can make you too much of a critic at times, you know, uh, like you have to be, you have to, as a fan, you have to understand that, yeah, this is just a job and there are going to be times to where your favorite actor is just going to have to do some because it, you know, has enough zeros on the, on the check. Right. Yeah. Which, you know, I, you know, I think that's fair. If you care about an actor, you're happy for them to get paid. Indeed, indeed. I mean, so long as, you know, it's not going against, like, their beliefs or something like that, you know. Sure. Uh, you know, but... You want people to have some integrity. Some. You know? Not much, but some. Yeah, just just where it counts. But shall I go on with my next one? Yes, what's your next one? All right. I had the privilege of watching this movie uh, when it was, uh, as part of a limited re-release in Grand Rapids, a Studio 28. Oh. Um... Yeah, it was one of the few times actually. Excuse me again. Wonderful chilling. <laughs> one of the few times they, uh, you know, shelled out to actually um, have uh, an older classic movie uh, play in the theaters instead of just new ones. Um, and this was a movie that was originally um, going to be directed by George Lucas. It's Apocalypse Now. Hey, you know, I thought about including Apocalypse Now on mine. But I decided it wasn't a very summer blockbuster because usually summer blockbusters are like feel good movies, which is that's the opposite of a feel good movie. Understandable. Um, for me, I, I also view summer blockbusters as spectacle. And, mm. you know, seeing Apocalypse Now on the big screen, um, like the flight of the Valkyrie scene with the helicopters going, dun, 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 like just seeing that go on the big screen was just amazing. Yeah. Um, and like my jaw at the very end dropped, you know, just just seeing how like the the, the final climatic scene where uh, Martin Sheen's character um, takes care of uh, um, Colonel Kurtz, uh, played by Marlon Brando, you know the you know th- where the end is playing, but it's the unedited it's the unedited version of the end um, where Morrison's talking about some stupid stuff, you know, in the song, but he kills Kurtz, and then um, like Martin Sheen's character comes out after he kills Kurtz stands at the top of a staircase where, you know, Kurtz had his whole, had his home uh, where he was leading a bunch of these people and then the people stopped. Like, you actually saw a, 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 like a cow being murdered too um, because these people were sacrificing it on the film. You know, but everything stopped. And then you thought for a second, like, no, is Martin Sheen's character going to be their new leader? Fuck no, <laughs> you know that. But you just got so drawn up into it, and then he just slowly drops the machete he had in his hands, walks down the stairs, 
walks away, gets an Oppo, drives off, and that's the end of the movie. Yeah. And, like, it blew my mind. I'm glad I saw that on the big screen. I don't know if I would have had the same reaction if I saw it on the television. Yeah, I doubt you would have, because the spectacle does get, like, watered down on a smaller screen. Yeah, I mean, like, Titanic. Not my favorite movie, but I'm glad I saw it in theaters. Like, my God, being able to see all of what you know James Cameron did uh, for that movie just on the big fucking screen was was amazing you know that's that's why you pay people like him the big bucks that you do because he can put you there you know and um, Francis Ford Coppola with Apocalypse Now like this is his best film really in my opinion yeah wow Okay. All right. What is your next choice? Number four. Number four is Grease, a wonderful musical romp um, from, I believe, 1978 Mm. um, or 79, starring John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John, full of some of the most wonderful songs you've ever heard and great 50s costumes and dancing. And, boy, I loved that movie when I was a kid. Like, I I must have watched it a hundred times. I remember when Olivia Newton-John came into the Apple Store in Portland. Whoa. Um, she, her daughter actually lives uh, in the area. Um, but, like, if the person I knew helped her out, and um, I was the one who started it afterwards, after, you know, he helped her out and he came upstairs for his break. But I was like, hey, did you get chills? Were they multiplying? <laughs> Were you losing control out there? <laughs> But she was a sweet woman, a nice woman, and, like, she was, in a lot of ways, one of those people that, kind of like a Dolly Parton in a way, um, that the more you hear about her, the more you just think, what a nice person. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Tina Turner documentary on Max. Um, we spent a whole segment bitching about Max, but we're going to tell you to watch Max. Um, you know, talked about, like... The, you know, there were a bunch of dominoes that fell that, you know, brought Tina Turner back into the spotlight. One of them was being a guest on on, on an Olivia Newton-John TV special. Really? Because that ended up introducing uh, Tina to Olivia's manager, Roger Davies, who became Tina's manager. Oh. And which started, you know, her, her big Resurgence. Company. Yep. Cool. Well, I loved the 80s Tina, so... There you go. And the movie in question, definitely a classic. I'm not a huge fan of it, but um, You're the One That I Want is on my playlist. Mm. I mean, it's it's a good song for a reason, folks. Um, even, uh, you know, the song sung at the beginning that was written by the Bee Gees, but sung by Frankie Valli, you know, Grease is the Word. You know, really good song. Um, yeah, just... Like I said, I'm not the biggest fan of it, but I have big respect for it. Yeah, nice. I like that you appreciate it, even though it's not really your cup of tea. Exactly. But you know, you want to know what my cup of tea is? What? It's a little movie that came out in the '70s about a popular uh, high school student by the name of Riff Randall, who had a song that she wanted to show to the Ramones. Rock and Roll High School. Rock and Roll High School. And this is actually produced by uh, Roger Corman. Um, The guy who wrote it, I believe, went on to uh, write and direct Gremlins. And Gremlins 2. But Rock and Roll High School is like one of those movies in the 70s, kind of like a Rocky Horror Picture Show, that just shouldn't work. 
but does because of the passion of everyone involved. Right. You know, like it, like it was originally supposed to be called Disco High, but the people, the, the writers of the movie were like, you don't want to do that. Disco's dying. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you want something that is going to last. And Rock and Roll High School was it. And just having the Ramones be the musical stars of the movie was brilliant. Um, counter casting, if you think about it. But it's another one of those movies that from first frame to last I absolutely love um, it, you know all the characters are two dimensional let's be clear it's not a deep movie by any means um, but just you're, you're gonna love it and you know any any movie that ends with a school being blown up and the Ramones singing their asses off it's gotta be great right yeah totally have you seen Rock and Roll High School? oh yeah I've seen it many times mm-hmm. love it love it any thoughts on the Ramones? I love the Ramones. Uh, I really enjoy their Greatest Hits album. And uh, when I was a teenager, I was way into them. Mm-hmm. Partially because it was cool to be way into them. But I did like them. Cool. Well, what is your last choice? So my last choice is 9 to 5. Uh-huh. 1980 movie. I remember going to when it came out in theaters so I was what five or six Mm. and loved Dolly Parton since I was a very small child because I'm from where she's from and um, just Dolly Parton Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin Lily Tomlin from Michigan who play uh, women who work in a corporation as secretaries essentially and how they get ill-treated by their boss and how they ultimately get revenge and you know what a feminist triumph at in 1980 that movie was you know they end up hogtying the boss they keep him locked up in his own house for months while they run the company and do a much better job than he did and um, it's just a great subversive feminist movie. Played by the great Dabney Coleman. Yes, Dabney Coleman is so good in that movie. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, I would kind of compare him to uh, Harvey Corman. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the guy that you know did a lot of work with Carol Burnett and Mel Brooks. Yeah. Um, just one of those perfect, straight characters in, that every good comedy needs. Yeah. You know, um, but um, I haven't really seen that movie. Oh, you should watch it. Yeah. I, I wasn't a fan of the song growing up. Uh, my sister was a huge Dolly Parton fan, and like her mangling the Golden Girls theme song, you know, like that. <laughs> You're so mean to your sister. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. What's your last one? My last one, I had to pick something funny here. And, you know, there were a number of funny movies released between 75 and 80. Um, But, you know, not every comedy necessarily translates over time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but this one, I, I think, is one that for me I can put on and still get a good laugh on Caddyshack. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I love it especially for Rodney Dangerfield. You know, he says the dirtiest line in the movie, and it's not, it's in his delivery and not the words. You know, it's like he takes an old lady in his arms and goes, Hey, how would you like to earn $14 the hard way? <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
And then uh, one of his favorite, one of uh, his best lines in the movie is um, when Ted Knight's character is in the golf shop uh, trying on hats. And Ted Knight is amazing. He's another one of those, uh, you know, straight characters uh, that, you know, every comedy needs. But he was putting it on and then, you know, Rodney comes in, you know, looks at the display model, not that it's already on the head of the judge. And, oh, my God, this is is for the homeless people and blah, blah, blah. And then he looks at the judge. Oh, but it looks good on you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Ted Knight, um, you know... If you only know him from the Mary Tyler Moore show uh, as Ted Baxter, you are missing out. Like, he's one of those guys that I wish I could see more of his work just because he was so good. Like, you know, him playing Ted Baxter and Mary Tyler Moore, he's one of those few actors that have the ability of playing dumb while not realizing it. Uh, if that uh-huh. makes sense. Yeah. Like, you know, his character, Ted Baxter on a show, is dumb as a doorknob, but thinks he's the smartest guy in the room yeah and that's the worst he plays it honestly and i absolutely love that um you also have bill murray one of his uh, first films in fact i think this is the one that kind of you know kick-started uh his his movie career even though he did have a couple of um previous uh, smaller movies before this uh chevy chase of course even though chevy chase is an asshole <laughs> um was in it but a great romp from first to last and I, I think the reason why this movie does last and, and does work so well today just as much as it did in the 80s <laughs> hiccuping wonderful chili <laughs> uh, is that I, I think everybody can relate to that working class struggle yeah you know it, it the whole idea of the film initially was that you know you're supposed to relate to the caddies uh, uh, in the particular movie and you know it really is a movie about class struggle uh, directed by Harold Ramis I think he even wrote the film as well yeah um, even right. yeah even though a lot of uh, mm-hmm. the, the work especially Bill Murray's work was improvised um, but Bill Murray almost killed Chevy Chase in this movie really yeah, Bill Murray and Chevy Chase didn't get along that well. Um, and there's a scene where Bill Murray and Chevy Chase are riding on a big riding lawnmower, but they were also fighting. And, like, um, Bill Murray, like, shoved him off. And Chevy Chase had a, just, like, a moment or two to get to get out of the way. Otherwise, he would have been run over by the lawnmower. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, apparently they've made up and, and whatnot, so, like, they... They're much more friendlier than they used to be, but you know Chevy Chase does have uh, a reputation of not being easy to work with. Yeah. So I, I think there were a number of people that you know would have said, "I wouldn't have done that," but don't put me on the jury. <laughs> you know? Right. You know, but that is the end of my list here. And like I said, uh, the choices I made, um, you know, there were other more bigger name choices. You know, I could have picked Rocky, could have picked Star Wars or The Empire Strikes Back, could have picked Superman. But I felt those were too easy, you know, because of the fact that, you know, we've talked about them a lot on the show. And we will continue to talk about those movies a a lot uh, because there's more that's being added to, you know, the story of those particular ones. But um, just wanted to put together something because this is the time of year, especially when it's super hot, that if you have these movies in your collection, whether digitally or physically, this is the time of year to put the air conditioning on, put on a good movie, and just enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Just chill out in every sense of the word. Indeed. Now, before we wrap things up, there is one topic I forgot to bring up at the start. 
Um, I gotta thank my friend Lisa Chilton for bringing this to my attention, but um, this is about the Montgomery Riverfront Brawl. Oh. Montgomery, Alabama. Some are calling it the Alabama Sweet Tea Party or the Battle of Montgomery. Um, what happened is that it was at a marina in Alabama. Um, this uh, co-captain um, uh, of a boat asked these white guys um, the co-captain was uh, was a black guy asked these white guys to move their boat so this river boat could park and the white guys started giving him shit and started trying to beat him up and the captain like ended up throwing his hat into the air and then before you know it you had people swimming from the boat to the dock to help the guy you had other people coming and it was all these black people that just showed up out of nowhere started beating the hell out of these white guys and the white guys were the ones that got arrested um there was uh one of the black guys did get arrested as well but he was the one that hit a woman with a folding chair like you know he was in the ring at wrestlemania (laughs) um you know which you have had people come out and TikTok, you know, you shouldn't hit a woman. And, like, no, you shouldn't hit a woman, but you shouldn't hit a man as well. Right, you shouldn't hit anybody. Yeah, I mean, it, it is just as illegal for you to hit a male with a chair as it is with a female. Now, having said that, I understand because of the, you know, men generally are more physically stronger than women. I mean, I do think, yeah, I, I'm not uh, against, like, the court of law, you know, going a little harder on, some, on a man that does fight against a woman compared to fighting against a man but you shouldn't have done that period right with the chair you know but what I've been liking about this is how people have you know especially on TikTok have taken this as kind of uh, um, as a good thing and in terms of like uh, like a like black creators on TikTok or making like there was one that took uh, clips of the of the um, brawl, but in the background they had the music for Good Times, <laughs> and then just made it and then had like you know gave fake introductions as if it was the opening to Good Times, and then they um, photoshopped a chair into the picture <laughs> that you see at the end of the Good Times. <laughs> but um, you know this is something that in a couple of weeks from now people will either A, forget, or B, if this is the start of something to where minorities in this country think, hey, maybe we can give a few ass beatings you know, right. in, in order to you know protect ourselves. I don't take that as a bad thing, you know, because sometimes some people do need their ass kicked if they're yeah. being belligerent like those white people in Montgomery. Absolutely. There are definitely people who need their ass kicked in this world. Yeah, yeah. Now, am I going to be the one that's going to be doing the ass kicking? No. Do I endorse it or recommend it? No. Wink. Um, But but don't put me on a jury either. For real. Me either. Yeah, just because, you know, like under different circumstances at a different time, especially without cameras present, I mean, because there, there was something interesting that happened in the news about this. There were a number of news outlets that um, their only caption in, in the headline was, black people attack a group of white people on a pier. Whoa. Without stating why. Mm-hmm. It just made it seem like the black people just decided, I'm going to start beating up white people. Which was not the case at all. You know, they, they were provoked and they were, all of them were sticking up for themselves. You know, but um, anyway, don't have much to say about that. It wasn't going to be a topic we're going to spend three hours on anyway. But it makes my heart happy seeing people that, you know, 
over that throughout time have had the shorthand that have not had the power finally have a little bit of power in their mm-hmm, hands mm-hmm. you know and hopefully this is a sign that you know something is changing in this country yeah let's hope so yeah let's hope so like like racism is not going to magically disappear i'm not naive but i think we can get to a point to where people are better served and better protected Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. absolutely all right any other thoughts you know i don't have many it's going to be it's going to be super hot here so i'm already turning my brain off getting ready to just languish in the heat and um stay in the air conditioning for a few days yeah, and you're going to be uh, here within the next week or two traveling to Burning Man. That's right. We'll be heading to Gerlach, um on the 22nd, just in a week or so. Nine days. So, yeah, uh, that's something else we're going to be doing throughout the week, recording a couple of uh, episodes to have in the bag. <laughs> yep. Um, were you thinking of maybe recording at Burning Man, too? Maybe. Um, you know, it's always difficult for me to record in populated areas because it's like, what am I doing? And are they going to be like, what is she doing? She's crazy. I'm so embarrassed and bashful. <laughs> yeah, I do get embarrassed and bashful about it. Well, th- even if it's one segment, that'd be cool. But an- anyway, anyway, we're, we're, we have a lot of interesting things in store for you folks at home. We thank you for listening. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And if uh, you haven't done so already, if you've gotten to this point in the show and you like what you hear, tell somebody about it. Yeah, just mention it. Write us on um, the internet and let us know how you started listening and how you're enjoying it. Yeah, um, if you go to the Linktree link in our show description, you'll be able to find out where you can find us on social media. Um, we are officially on Blue Sky now. Ooh. Yeah, um, I actually have an invite code too. I did send one to um, our friends at PNW Haunts and Homicides, but if you oh, nice. want one as well, I can get I just one. got one today. Oh, there you go. It's so special. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, yeah, that is the tr- another Twitter alternative, but that one is being run by the original owner of Twitter, Jack Dorsey. Um, and then threads, of course, uh, were on there. But just you reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Um, but most importantly, too, if you like what you're hearing, the best way to support us is to tell your friends to, you know, say, listen to this show with these two goofy people having a good time each Monday. Yeah. Tell everybody. That's right. Each Monday, we'll have something in this podcast space to entertain your ear holes. Until we meet again, we bid you adieu. Farewell. Auf Wiedersehen. Bye-bye. Subscribe to Friends Talking Nerdy on iTunes, the Google Play Music Store, as well as Spotify. Remember to support Friends Talking Nerdy on Patreon. Goodbye, darling.